Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, humanities professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So begins the Constitution of the United States with that preamble. The American democracy and the Constitution is the greatest document to ensure the broadest rights to the most people in the broadest context in the entire history of the world. It would be hard to argue otherwise. Sure, we had to take baby steps through the civil rights movement to ensure women and blacks and all minorities had the same equal rights. It was more like taking the stairs up a hundred-story building and not an escalator. But the fact is, no country in the history of the world has done so much for so many people to ensure a voice in politics. We should all never forget this as we head towards the election tomorrow. For much of the mid-1800s through the 1900s, almost 80% and some years over 80% of the eligible voters voted in presidential elections. In the last election cycle, around 57% voted. Over 90 million people did not bother to vote. Talk about the ability to 100% alter the landscape of the political system in this country. The potential is absolutely staggering. No wonder both political parties are obsessed with voter registration. I'm fascinated by this demographic to have the opportunity and the privilege to vote, yet not to do it. You know, I like to talk about why people do what they do. So let's spend some time on this election eve trying to understand this phenomena that's going on in America. I can't cast any stones here. I mean, there were many election cycles when I was young. I simply didn't care enough to vote. Uh, There were times I didn't vote because I thought both candidates were terrible or boring and I was young, had other things to do. But now as I'm older, I want to look back at this at this group in modern culture. This group is fascinating. In this podcast, I want us all to understand this non-voting group as best we can. But more importantly, a rather controversial idea of whether it would be good or bad that this huge voting block does or doesn't vote. We're going to look back at some of the ancient philosophical ideas on this topic to look for solutions. Finally, I want to talk about a what-if scenario if these people would engage and the insane power they could wield to completely upset the political structure in this country. But before I go there, we need to talk a second about the popular vote versus the Electoral College. This was a great topic I had going on in one of my classes this week, and it was a really interesting discussion with popular vote advocates in the class that the masses, the whole population in some, 
regardless of whatever state they come from, should decide the election, basically eliminating the Electoral College. I personally, I have a hard time with the argument for this popular vote, but it is an important one to have nonetheless. So I just want to go through this real quick. If I were to run for president, which I will never do ever, I know how I would approach it if the country only had a popular vote. And I think this is why we probably will never see it happen. In America, there's eight, there's the eight largest states in this country make up nearly 50% of the total population. California, Texas, Florida, New York. These four states alone make up 34% of the total population in this country. If I was running for president, I would dive into understanding the issues, the, the hot button topics, the commonalities, the wishes of these huge urban centers. I would then craft my message and my policies towards them and I would literally spend all my time there. It would give me the greatest probability to win, the biggest bang for my buck. Let's just say I was looking to pick up 3 million voters just randomly. I have a goal in this week to try and hit up 3 million voters. I could, if I wanted to, crisscross the entire state of Iowa. It's a fairly large state. I grew up there. Or I could go to one region, the Tampa Bay area where I'm living right now, and touch almost the identical number of voters as the city The region of Tampa Bay has nearly the same population of the entire state of Iowa. This is a reality for any candidate that they would have to go through if they want to win in a popular vote. Think about it. If you were running for president, how are you going to win it? You're going to go to the biggest states with the biggest cities. L.A., New York, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, San Francisco, and so on and so on. Huge urban centers would dominate all politics all the time. So I live in Florida in one of the largest urban centers, but I don't want the entire country run by the opinions of urban centers. I grew up in a rural area, and I guarantee you life is much, much different there. But still, the things that are done in the less populous areas are are completely vital to the survival of the country. So we need a diversity of thought, and the Electoral College provides that. So I believe the best way to represent the interests of the entire country is through that electoral college. I completely get the concept of the popular vote. It's actually incredibly appealing. If you want the most simple, the most straightforward, the it's it's the popular vote. People cast a vote, count them up, voila, simple majority wins, game over. No electoral college, no gathering to cast votes, all that extra stuff that goes on. It Definitely there's some appealing things to it. But really, the system that we have in place was devised to create this balance of voting power between the big states like the one I'm in right now and the smaller states from where I grew up. We really are the United States of America and not the United Big Cities of America, which is what a popular vote ultimately would end us at. But I digress on this voter issue. It's just one that came up literally right as I was working on this podcast. And I thought I'd just mention that because this this may come up again after this election. If only there was a popular vote, we'd get the best 
candidate. And so let's get back, though, to the case that's at hand and those potential voters who have basically gone incognito. Here's I want to talk about where I'm getting my information from this podcast so you can check it out on your own. The group is called the Knight Foundation, K-N-I-G-H-T Foundation, and they re- release these results. It's It was called the 100 Million Project, and it's actually the largest survey of chronic non-voters in history, and it's the most robust attempt ever to answer some of the questions that have bewildered political scientists and even people like myself. Why in the world, when you have the opportunity and you live in the United States of America, would you not exercise your right to let your voice be heard? And so what they did, the Knight Foundation took 13,000 people. They pulled them all across the country, but they had a special emphasis on 10 battleground states. And after they surveyed them on why they didn't vote, they actually held thousands of in-depth conversations. So it's an absolutely fascinating. You get the factual data and the data sets, but you also get that, that personal analysis. And they asked them all kinds of things. So their political preferences, what did they, what kind of media did they consume? What kind of social media did they use? Their income level, just general life satisfaction, all kinds of stuff. And the result is this huge survey of politically disengaged people. So in the broadest sweeping generalization from the study. What was it that was found out? I'm going to give you the picture of the person, the most common non-voting person in this country. Number one, they're married. Number two, they're non-religious. Number three, it's a white woman. And the age is between 56 and 73. They work full time, but they're making less than $50,000 a year. They are most likely to identify as a moderate, and if they would lean towards one party or the other, they would lean towards the Democratic Party. They're getting their news from TV, and here's a key one. They have a very unfavorable impression of both political parties. This is the image of the most typical non-voter in America. I was a bit surprised, actually, as I had in my mind, it would be the very young, especially college age or right out of high school, and maybe they didn't go to college at all, but I was, I assumed that the most common one was probably the younger demographic, but in fact, it was not. So beyond this picture and this person of the one, let's look just generalized across every, all 13,000 in this survey. Because what I was really most interested in when I was reading it is what in the world is the reason why people just don't show up and vote? I bet if I was, as you're hearing my voice, you probably have some ideas in your mind of what makes people not vote. And you may be close on a number of them, but here they are. The number one reason why people didn't vote They don't like the candidates. That's the number one most common reason. They don't like the candidates. Interestingly, 77% of these people are actually registered to vote. You know, in a lot of states, when you get your driver's license renewed or when you're 18 and you have to sign up for selective service, they'll register you. There's some auto registration things that are going on. So it doesn't mean they sought out 
voter registration, but probably they were exposed to some part of a governmental structure that just automatically registered them. But the key thing to take away from this is they hate their choices. Hear that? DNC and RNC to this huge demographic, your candidate selection for Congress and president for the most part suck for almost half the country. Reason number two, for all non-voters, they feel alienated from a political system. They just don't believe they fit in or belong and they're not accepted. Many of them use words like they found the process bewildering, corrupt, irrelevant, or some combination of all of these. It speaks volumes that huge swaths of this country feel isolated from the system and fatalistic about how it's going to affect their lives. The belief that whoever is elective will do nothing to improve their lives speaks volumes. Again, do you hear that RNC and DNC? Your message, and more importantly, your actions when you get in Washington, D.C., have left half the voting public disengaged from you. They think you don't care, you don't address their concerns, and you live by a different set of standards than the average person has to live by. Heck, even people that vote have a lot of those same feelings. And that brings us to this idea of political efficacy. And I know I've spoken about this before on podcasts, but, and again, political efficacy, if you if you haven't tuned in prior, it's nothing more than this belief that your vote has meaning, that your vote makes a difference. Political efficacy, when it's really high, tons of almost everybody's participating in democracy. They feel it's important. They think their opinion's valued. It's cared for. And when they make their choice, change is going to occur because they're participating. The opposite, when political efficacy is incredibly low, that means voters think nobody cares. It doesn't make a difference. No matter who gets in, red or blue, nothing's ever going to change. It's just going to stay the same. That's a low political efficacy. So that was the second reason. The third one was probably, for me, the most obvious one, having teaching college. And even as I go through all my humanities, and and we talk about politics and culture a lot, there are huge groups that literally are what they would say disengaged or disinterested in politics. So that's the third reason, profoundly disengaged and disinterested. They simply don't care. This group scares me. This group scares me on numerous fronts. As cutting through all the reasons and rationale is a person who has completely taken for granted the right, the privilege, and simply with a shrug of the shoulders is saying, ah, well, it is what it is. Now, if this group has no complaints, grudges, ill will towards the people who voted for X, Y, or Z, then sadly, I'm just going to say, well, go do you then. However, when this group wants to cry, complain, scream, then I have a problem with this group because you're either going to be part of the solution or you're not. But we got enough critics around. If you don't exercise your right to vote, don't complain about it. But back to these members of this particular group, they report paying very little attention to the news low levels of civic engagement. I literally just did a podcast about even a number of voters who have very little engagement with political news. 
Uh, they have very little interest in politics in general. And in aggregate, they kind of are a mixed partisans. You know, they're, they lean left, they lean right. Very few, very hard, very, very hard left, very, very hard right, because those people would be engaged. So they're kind of swaying back and forth across their political preferences. The disconnected are less informed, but not just less informed, they are intentionally not informed. They just won't consume the news, they won't pay attention to it, and they turn it off the second it comes on. These are people who are generally below the poverty line when they find them in the survey with a lot of job turnover and a lot of family disruptions. Their lives are incredibly busy and they're living paycheck to paycheck. One of these people in the study actually, and I bring this quote in here, said, quote, you don't really have a lot of time to watch the news or to vote. And the paperwork necessary to vote is annoying. It's a type of justified cynicism, I think, at best, or laziness at its worst. If, if we can consider that many of these people not only are not interested, but they flat out distrust the process is startling. So imagine this potential voter, as the study stated, uh, imagine the disengaged doesn't care voter, they show up, uh, they go, when they do engage with the system, for example, maybe they go to the DMV, they go in to get their driver's license, and then they find out they have an old speeding ticket that they can't pay, uh, they go, they get hurt, and then they go to the hospital and get a huge bill because they don't have proper health insurance, they vote, and their name shows up somewhere, and, and they get called up for jury duty. Every interaction for some of these disengaged fringe people is a hardship so it's just easier to stay away from the system as much as they can humanly stay away from it because it's the path of least resistance so really we could say within that category of this don't care thing uh, they break it down even further this indifferent group and the the study found those members may be registered but they just don't pay attention and they just don't feel they know enough about the issues to even cast a vote. More, Another segment of them, they're just unattached apolitical. They are just adamant about not participant, participating in, in the democracy. They're anti. This is a group that says, I don't want to vote. I have, want nothing to do with the vote. And you can't make me vote. This group is the one that tends to be young and unmarried, often with low income levels and education levels. The, finer, the final part of this group is the distressed voter. And this makes up the largest part of this indifferent category. And they have the lowest employment, the lowest education level, the lowest income indices, and it's 65% female, often single mother female. And ask them why, who they would vote for in 2020 when they asked the question, 80% of them simply said they don't know. These are the people who are on the edge. They're on the cusp of survival in society. They are incredibly removed from the power structures. And it would be really hard to pull them in to the mix. The current state of our media and technology, it's not helping at all with this group. You know, there was a time when everybody watched the same four channels of news. And when the news came on, you watched it, then you turned off the TV. Now, if you turn on the news and you don't like it, which the disengaged don't like it, 
They can flip over to Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus. They can escape having to watch the news very, very easily. They pop in a video game. You know, there used to be newspaper boxes and those are vanishing from the streets. But disinterested citizens, even though they still might get glimpses of headlines as they scroll through their Facebook feeds, 77% of these non-voters said they do see them, but they just ignore them completely. One of the non-voters with frustration even said in the study, quote, with the internet age, it's hard to tell what's the truth. And even on television during the election season, there's one commercial after another and they go back and forth contradicting each other completely, she says. Unless you want to make it your life's mission to sort it all out, it's really hard to get a good opinion, end quote. And this non-voter nailed it on the head for sure. Our news is a mess and it's hard to even call it news anymore it's ridiculous and we've talked about this on numerous occasions in various podcasts but here we are 90 million potential voters now you have an understanding of who these people are it's not one simple little category it runs up and down the socioeconomic it runs up and down the education level the reason they don't participate runs across multiple issues and some of them would fit all three of those issues but The reality is it's incredibly complex. But imagine this. If one of the political parties could tap 5% of this group that doesn't vote, it would literally create a landslide victory one way or another. A mere 1% of these non-voters, if you could engage them and tap them in a battleground state, could tip the election. You know, it's funny. Even the political pundits completely discount this massive voting swath as after the final debate the other night the the pundits which are are oh so full of bs 95 percent of the time it's hard to call them experts with a straight face but anyway they said only three percent of the voting population is undecided what we have almost 50 percent of the entire nation that is disengaged. And if this study is accurate, there are about 70 million registered non-voters right now that haven't, that are not even going to engage. And they're talking about this three, one to three percent of the people are undecided. See, even the politicians and the pundits, they just ignore this group. The truth is we have roughly half the country who hate the candidates, won't vote for either, or they feel completely alienated and isolated from the political system of their own home country, or they just simply don't even care enough to vote. This is significant and important for all of us to understand if we care about the country as a whole, not just winning a meme war against liberals or conservatives on Facebook, our country needs to look in the mirror at this phenomena and how we are treating all citizens as in a thriving, vibrant democracy, all people would vote and this would simply not happen. These voters are screaming something to us about our nation and our political system that just simply is not meeting their needs at the most basic level that they'll even vote. These voters are screaming 
we need better representation. Not these two buffoon political parties for the most part, as they are telling us, these non-voters, that they don't like the choices, they don't care about politics, and they think even if they voted, it wouldn't even matter. What other evidence do we need that this two-party system is failing, it is broken, that almost half the population of this nation says, nah, I'm good, I'm not going to vote. Yet, the parties do spend tens of millions of dollars to try to seduce and recruit these voters and register them. Assuming if they register them, they'll vote for them. They'll pull the lever, straight party line, for the ticket. I find this process absolutely sickening to my stomach that they're obsessed and will spend millions just to register them but none of their party platform actually gives them or speaks to them or gives them any incentive to want to vote they think that the most important thing is not to serve the needs of these people but rather if we just get them registered as a democrat they'll vote democrat yes of course we need to bring new and young voters into the fold we we need a system that does that that educates them and shows them their vote matters. Get them involved very young and very early. But let's be honest. The political parties are not looking for open-minded, rational thinking voters during registration drives. Yes, we must bring new and young voters into the fold. We need to educate them. We need to show them their vote matters. Get them involved early because if we do, the chance of them voting throughout their life will go up. But let's be honest, the political parties are not looking for open-minded, rational-thinking voters during registration drives that vote issues and not party. They're in search of sheep, the non-questioning, non-educated voter that follows the rules and votes on command to whom and when they are told, as of course, they registered red or blue. Sort of like all our congressional party sheep, Pelosi says vote. Dems goose step and vote as ordered. McConnell says vote, and the same, and the expectation is you fall in line with the party. Period. Socrates warned us about this, as he saw it in Greece in the 4th century BC, and he identified the biggest threat to democracy was an uneducated voter. Now, in 2020, our parties are spending millions seeking and finding the most vulnerable people, the least engaged people, the least interested ones, the ones that pay no attention to politics, the apathetic, and recruiting them to vote, not because they're trying to craft a party platform that meets their needs, it's going to serve their purposes. Oh, no, no. Not that their voice matters, but because what they want is that straight party line vote. Not empowerment of this group, which would actually motivate them to participate. They're just trying to stiff arm and strong arm these people through a RNC or DNC voter drive to get them on the books so that they'll vote. They make me ill. The outright lies and deceptions. I'll give you a personal example. The other day, I got a text message from an unknown number. I usually just delete those instantaneously when they show up on my cell phone, but it caught my attention. As it said, COVID-19 response team. And so my initial thought was, oh, great. Some contract tracing from the college is letting me know I have a possible exposure. So I, with trepidation, opened up this uh this text message. And no, that wasn't what it was at all. It was actually from Joe Biden's campaign. And it basically was asking me 
if they could, if they needed to have someone show up at my home to quote unquote help me get registered so that I could cast an absentee ballot. They'd help me with the entire process. Everything is really short and simple and easy. All I needed to do was reply yes, and they would send, they would be in touch with me on when they would come out to my house. What a great ploy. What a great marketing tool to get attention using a Joe Biden's COVID-19 response team. How hilarious. The guy's not in office, but he's got a COVID-19 response team. But this just shows the depths and the tactics these parties will use to hook in potential voters. I was tempted, I do have to be honest, for just one second to respond yes, have this person come out with all the paperwork, and then as they put it down and explain all the greatness of the Democratic Party and how they're so superior to the Republicans and and, you know, if they don't put Biden on the ticket, you know, we may end up like Germany 2.0 with Hitler. Uh, and then at the end of their long spiel, I would say, no, I think I'm going to vote register Republican and just watch their face. Since, of course, they weren't there just to get me to be a Democrat. They just wanted to make sure that my quote unquote voice was heard. Now, of course, I didn't. I didn't respond. Yes, I responded. No, got away from the from the attempt. But. See that code word of let your voice be heard that you hear on all these voter registration drives? If you look at them closely, every single one of them is backed by either a Democrat or a Republican or a hard left or a hard right uh, entity. It, they, they, don't, they could care less about my voice unless, of course, I vote for their side. Now, if getting my voice heard would mean me voting against their position. They would rather my voice not be heard. But let's put this in a classical context and move on from that example. Looking, I want to look at Plato and the Republic is the name of the work, and it actually shows up in book six. And let's look at this classical context of uninformed and uneducated voters and how actually against democracy, the concept of bringing in people who are completely disengaged, uneducated, and not interested in the process is incredibly dangerous to democracy. And so Plato, he's the one that documented all of Socrates' philosophies. And it's incredible. Socrates may be the most famous, well-known philosopher from classical Greece. He actually never wrote anything down himself. Everything we know of him comes through Plato and other writings. It's kind of crazy. But Socrates in Book 6 of the Republic is talking about democracy and the biggest danger to democracy. And Socrates' point is that voting is a skill. It's not some random intuition or popularity contest. And like any type of a skill, it needs to be taught systematically to the people. Letting the citizens vote without an education to Socrates is incredibly irresponsible. Now, Socrates was no elitist by far. In fact, he was despised by most of the elite. And he surely didn't believe that a narrow few should only vote. However, he did say this, only those who had thought about issues rationally and deeply should be let near a, a, a ballot box. But how do we get educated? Look at our mainstream news media. Look at social media. How how can we even create a intellectual 
an irrational thinking democracy in the state of media that we in, which is an utter dumpster fire. And Socrates basically, even in the 4th century BC, said, we're forgetting a distinction between this intellectual democracy or a rational-minded decision-making process for the good of the country versus you get a vote because you were born in, in a certain location. So we've given the vote to everyone without connecting it to any sort of wisdom. The RNC and the DNC have turned voting into a bulk harvesting campaign. They're not worried about quality and educating voters to choose their side, let alone actually doing the what the society would like them to do, but rather they just want to harvest voters. Back in the day when I joined the army, there was this joke back then that if you could walk and chew gum at the same time, you were qualified to join the army. I mean, it has changed a lot since then, but the analogy still works. The parties want bodies, as many bodies as they can get. And if we're honest, the less educated, the less questioning, quote-unquote, party members they can find, the better off that they are. And even those right now that are active in the RNC and the DNC are these rational, intellectual, open-minded, unbiased vote casters. We could say the answer is no, and this uneducated voting class whether it's they just know nothing or they've been so brainwashed by the party that no other option is possible, Socrates said this could lead to something called demagoguery. And this is a Greek word, demos the people, agogos leading. And basically a demagogue is this leader who makes use of popular prejudices, false claims, and promises in order to gain power. Let me say that again. Socrates warned that if we do not have an educated voting public, it will lead to leaders who make use of popular prejudices, false claims, and false promises in order to claim power. Demagoguery is this manipulative approach. It's often associated with dictators and politicians in a democracy that appeal to the worst nature of people. It isn't based on reason, issues, and doing the right thing. It's based on stirring up fear and hatred to control people. Let that soak in for just a second. Socrates and his predictions on democracy, sadly, in many ways, we see them right now. And if I had to prove it in an argument, I could go to Facebook for 10 minutes and I would have my point made. So this final point on Socrates, we've forgotten all about these warnings about democracy. It is the most amazing, incredible system of government ever seen. It's flawed. It's got problems. It's got issues. It's got corruption. But there's it's made by human beings and human beings are flawed and are prone to corruption and emotion and manipulation. So thus the system has no choice but to also have it. But at the same time, we in this country have preferred to think that this democracy is some unambiguous good rather than a process that is only as effective as the education for every citizen that surrounds it. Right now, we have 50 
or 90 million Americans that are not participating at all. This is very, very dangerous. So after that, I come to this thing. Are we making better choices? Because our reality is what it is. We can hypothetically wish it was something else. But right now, 2020, on the eve of election, are we better off with these non-voters staying where they were and not participating? Because the fact is they just haven't been following it and they don't care or they don't think it works. They don't even, if they cast a vote, it wouldn't be a analyzed, rationalized vote. It would just be throw one in the ballot box. Interesting question, because on the one hand, probably as if they don't care enough to become even remotely educated or feel a part of the system, are probably more apt to be swayed by external forces at the last second and not make sound judgment. As Socrates says, they should probably not vote. But on the other hand, are we better off with hardcore demagogue left and rightists that would never consider another opinion? Are we better off having them make the choices? I don't know. I don't know. In a big picture beyond just the election that's going to happen, beyond that, it may be that this non-voter is possibly the best place to seek out strong candidates and build a platform that serves a huge chunk of the population because number one they're less political junkie ideologues and they can maybe look at things more rationally than those people that are completely indoctrinated into either the democratic or republican party because they can't in general look across the aisle they're in their team they're in their tribe they're in their little cluster and anybody outside of it And we know this is true because they name call them. They call them stupid, racist, whatever. I don't want to go through all those names again. But we get that these ideologues, I don't think that's the best place for us to continue to look for the right answers for the best for this country because they've sort of proven now they haven't been very successful, nor are they very open-minded, and surely they're not bringing our country together. So possibly this non-voting group, they need to be heard. Where is the politician wanting to address the situations that put these people in that category? This is the gold mine. This is the this is the panacea. This is the the Shangri-La for any political party. That's 50 million people. Now, of course, you're never going to get all of them on the same thing on the same page. That's that would be silly to think that's the case. But We need that focus to bring them in. And if the Democrats and Republicans can't do it, maybe we need another party to do it. And I don't want to hear the dribble from the hard left or or hard right. Oh, no, no, my my party and my candidate, um, we we really care about those. We we care about everyone. We really care about those people. We, We always have. It's the other guys that don't. If they did, why have these people not engaged already? If what you say is true, why are they still not engaged? That's the million dollar question for the for the hardcore left and hardcore right that say, oh no, our, our party, our candidate, our person, they care about them. Well, 
The numbers don't say that. The numbers actually say it's getting worse and worse of people that are not engaging. So these two parties are not meeting the needs just based on flat out math. There is incredible potential and power from this real silent majority, this group that could change everything in politics. Yet it doesn't move, doesn't feel like they belong, and quite frankly, don't care. Will they rally behind Trump or Biden? Time's going to tell. I mean, maybe one of them, one or the other will tap them. There's no simple answer here, but all of us should be aware, regardless if you're for Trump or Biden, that these people exist and these people need to be addressed for the country to remain vibrant. You cannot have a democracy where less than half the people participate in the democracy because when you're doing that, you're moving more towards a socialistic or even a even a communistic style of government. Democracy thrives when you have a fully educated, fully engaged country that have options and choices to have people represent their specific needs, and we don't have that. Generally, revolutions, when you study history throughout, whether it's the American Revolution, the French Revolution, or other upheavals, they occur when the uninvolved, the undervalued, and the underrepresented un- underrepresented people finally say, enough is enough, and they rise up. Most times it's bloody, ugly, and it's a very, very nasty thing that I don't ever want to go through and I don't ever want to see happen in America. But it doesn't have to be that way. If we remember this group and we can bring them in so they become quality, functioning, and educated voters... Then we're getting somewhere. Oh, by the way, doing that doesn't mean some partisan hack that's going to show up at a door telling someone to sign here, here, and here, and then giving them a card with the name of everybody in their party to vote for straight up and down the ballot. That type of engagement by our political party, that's child's play. That's simpleton stuff. I'm talking about real education, real caring, real concern, real attempts to bring these people into the mix. Maybe some of it's they've fallen out economically. Some of them falling out, they never had an education. Some of them are just disengaged. Maybe some of them at some point have been involved in bad activities and they, they're afraid to get engaged. I, I don't know what it is. It could be a million things. Since this is a huge swath of the country and you can't overgeneralize them. But... We need their voice to be heard. We need to bring them in because it's not some insignificant 1% or 2% of the population. It's almost half the entire voting population. It's 90 million people chose not to participate in democracy. That means democracy is not healthy. But if we can bring them in, Only then will we have a democracy that's envisioned by the framers of our most amazing constitution. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found value. Our democracy is the best ever created, yet there are serious issues that all of us should be aware of and need to be addressed by our politicians 
if we want to keep the democracy intact. Those enigmatic voters, they hold a wealth of knowledge and there's stuff that's going on that we need to incorporate into our politics and areas of our country that we just must address. So let's try and be cognizant of all the American voters. Remember, I generally publish new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if you click like or follow, you'll be alerted when new episodes come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.